0: Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate Liz Hansley.
1: And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comedian Dr. Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids today in a technology-centric world and we want to help.
0: And we hope we've been helping, but we've also been having a little bit of a break. And you've been doing some fun stuff during the break, haven't you, Kim? What have you yeah, been up to? Yeah, I've been
1: in Queensland. I've been swimming in the ocean, competing uh, in a team triathlon, not a full triathlon, but, you know, one small step.
0: So what's a team triathlon?
1: You split up the triathlon legs uh-huh. uh, into swim, cycle and run. Okay. And I met some friends uh, who did the other parts and we competed against my older brother's team who have been doing it for the last couple of years.
0: And was that a recipe for lots of joy and happiness for you?
1: Yeah, there was definitely some competitiveness, especially amongst their kids. So their kids came along. uh, There were spectators. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we beat you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, A lot of fun and games.
0: That sound like fun. And Queensland at this time of year would
1: have been gorgeous. Oh, it was just a massive event. There were about I think almost 4,000 people competing on the day that I was competing. Wow. Over the festival. So it's like a five day festival. There's Mm. like, you know, tens of thousands of people all lined up. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, as listeners might already realize, I spent my time quite differently while we were having the break. I finally organized to get the podcast straight up onto Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Pocket Casts. And I think what then happens is that a number of other podcast platforms pick you up because apparently they do something called scraping content from Apple Podcasts. So I know that we've turned up on Google Podcasts and we might have turned up on your favorite podcast platform or maybe the favorite podcast platform of your friends and colleagues. So, So now is a good time to spread the word about what a great podcast this is and um, we will do anything we can to help you do that because um, we really would like to get more listeners and get the word out more about the sort of stuff that we're talking about.
1: Congrats. Well done. Thank you. So what have we got lined up for this episode, Liz?
0: Well, today on the show, you're going to hear a review of The Adventures of Boy and Lava Girl. Um, That was a movie I remember. I watched it years ago and I loved it. Have you seen it? No, no. Okay, yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's really nice that the young woman who is reading the review is a huge fan of the movie too. So, listen out for that, but we're also going to catch up on some developments around food advertising regulation, which is something I've spent quite a lot of my life Mm. looking at and thinking about, and it's good to finally get around to that. But first up, we've got...
1: Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out, demystify it so it can better inform your family's decisions about how you engage with screens. Today, we're discussing an article about internet addiction and sleep disturbance. Mm. So if you want some tips on how to sleep like a baby, stay tuned.
0: You mean wake up five times in the middle of the night and need to be fed?
1: (laughs) When I was choosing the different phrases, I was like, really? I've got a kid. From my experience, sleeping with a baby, you're waking up multiple times a day. Yes,
0: I think any parent finds that a very odd expression. But it is the standard expression in English, sleep like a baby. And I'm sure we'd all like our teenagers to sleep very well. So let's stay tuned and we'll get into that in a second. As Kim said today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of China about one perennial parent challenge that the internet has put on steroids, sleep. Kim, why'd they do this research?
1: Well, Liz, we know that the internet and internet addiction leads to poor sleep quality. Mm -hmm. But this study connects specific symptoms of internet addiction to symptoms of sleep disturbance. Mm,
0: Okay. Right, so they just wanted to get a bit more detailed about which bits fit together. And that's a a really nice thing that we can get with research, isn't it? We know the broad picture, but then the research that's now going on is sort of digging deeper and and finding more intricate connections. Right. So how'd they do the research? Well,
1: they surveyed almost 2,000 university students. okay. And they found that how long you sleep was the most important thing, Mm -hmm. your sleep duration. Okay. So really aiming for that eight-hour mark, yeah. the more addicted you are to the internet, the more time you are physically displacing your sleep time, yeah. yep. leading to a shortening of your sleep duration. Mm. So thinking about craving the internet while being offline can also mm. contribute to poor sleep. So if you're sitting there lying in bed looking at the ceiling and thinking, oh, I could be doing this on the internet or mm. playing this game or researching this, this can also affect your sleep duration, mm-hmm. your sleep quality. And a great example, this week I lost about 30 minutes of sleep because I was staying up looking at the Black Friday sales, looking (laughs) for some sports gear. Yeah, okay. And I definitely paid for it in the morning because I missed my first ever morning swim training, which is really important. Kim! To
0: me. Yeah. Oh, you're a very, very bad yeah. swim trainer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it could also be that I achieved a big goal recently uh, in mm. Noosa, but yeah. poor sleep affects your daytime work also and your academic performance. Yeah, absolutely. So I did have a little bit of a sleep in, which didn't necessarily affect my daytime work, but if you're staying up late, waking up at your usual time, Reducing your sleep duration, then that can definitely affect mm. your schoolwork and your day at the office mm. and the best way to counter negative effects is to go to sleep just thirty minutes earlier to lose okay yep, which Half means getting off the
0: internet thirty minutes earlier
1: yes, switching it off yeah okay turning off your browser mm. closing it down, and catch up on your sleep on the weekend okay so if you want so you can do that refresh yourself then sleeping in on the weekend is a good thing if you can do that mm. And therapies such as cognitive behavior therapy or CBT might be helpful for addressing any kind of time management issues that you might be having. So Mm. people can get into some unhelpful habits Mm. and patterns and prioritizing your normal, what we call circadian rhythm sleep patterns, that is Mm. sleeping at night, waking Mm -hmm. up during the day is super important so Hmm. sleeping at night when it's dark as opposed to sleeping during the daytime
0: or sleeping in in the morning after it's become light you know there are people who will sleep into like 10 o'clock or something it's probably not good
1: yeah and Spending a majority of your time socialising online, also an important factor, rather than socialising in real life, can Mm. also contribute in the end to internet addiction and then subsequent poor sleep.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Because if the internet is your source of social satisfaction, then that's going to really draw you in. Yeah, okay, cool. So in this study, what did they find? I gather that stuff that you were just talking about then was stuff that we pretty much already knew or that you already knew. But what did they find in particular in this study?
1: Well, in this particular study, they were focusing on your sleep duration, yeah. making sure you just squeeze in an extra half hour. Okay. If you're staying up to 11 p.m., try and sleep half an hour early, 10.30. Mm-hmm.
0: So anything surprising? Doesn't sound like there really was.
1: This is just another study that reinforces what I've always known, mm-hmm. and we're looking at it from a different angle and okay. connection.
0: Right. So no reservations about it?
1: Well, this is a snapshot of young adults Mm -hmm. who we know as habitually staying up late anyway, doing Mm. things in the real world or online. And so we just have to sort of keep in mind that we can't necessarily extrapolate that for younger teenagers or older adults.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, So affecting your practice doesn't sound like terribly much is going to change there?
1: Uh, I'll add it to my long list of reasons to inform my patients to Mm. prioritize their sleep and Mm. uh, also for myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit for me too, it must be said. My sleep hasn't been great lately. Okay, um, and uh, informing parenting or caring for children, I guess it's that idea of knowing just how much it can help to get that extra little bit of sleep and to put in the effort to maximise the chance of that happening.
1: Yes, uh, if you want to perform at your best, put down your phone and sleep like a baby.
0: <laughs> okay, or sleep like a 22-year-old. Great, thank you. Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting tips from Kim about how to maximize what you get out of your time in bed. The paper was by Jan Cha Lu and colleagues, numerous colleagues, and the title is Network Analysis of Internet Addiction and Sleep Disturbance Symptoms. It was published in the journal Progress in Neuropsychopharmacology and Biological Psychiatry. And listeners, I did have to try a couple of times to say that. Full details in the show notes.
1: And now it's time for our movie review and Bianca is going to tell us why The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl is recommended for children aged 8 and up.
2: Hi, I'm Bianca Pisani and I'm here with some information from the CMA review of The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I'll tell you what the movie is about and what elements led the reviewers to recommend the film for children aged 8 and up. As well as some suggestions for things in the movie you might want to discuss with your kids. Max is a young boy with vivid dreams and a fertile imagination. On his first day of fourth grade, he tells his class about his meetings over the summer holidays with Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and their adventures on Planet Drool. Unfortunately, neither his teacher, Mr. Electricidad, nor his classmates believe his stories. Max has other problems, too. He is being bullied by a classmate, Linus. And at home, all is not well in his parents' marriage. He wishes he could sleep and dream all day, but his teacher tells him it is time for no more dreaming. Events take a dramatic turn when Shark Boy and Lava Girl actually visit Max, first at his home, then at his school, under the guise of a tornado. They tell Max that Planet Drool is dying, and that he is the only one who can save it. He agrees to go with them and realizes that everything about Shark Boy and Lava Girl and Planet Drool is based on his dream world. Once on Planet Drool, he discovers that Mr. Electric, under the orders of a darker force, is preventing children from dreaming, which in turn is causing a darkness to fall over the whole planet. Max, Shark Boy, and Love Girl have less than 45 minutes to get to the dream lair to stop the destruction of the planet. In the process, they meet some familiar faces. And learn much about themselves and the power of friendship and dreams. There are a few violent scenes in the movie, including where Mr. Electric uses giant electricity plugs to shower the children with electricity. They appear to be in pain when this occurs. In addition, Mr. Electric is attacked in a shark frenzy. There are also some scenes that could scare children, including Shark Boy's separation from his father during a big storm while at sea. Shark Boy is only little and appears scared and sad. Mr Electric later tells him that his father is at the bottom of the ocean and this character is generally a scary presence in the movie, frequently mocking and chasing the children with either Electric plugs or his bloodhounds. All the children at the school appear afraid when a big tornado blows in the classroom windows. The tornado also sweeps up Max's parents, but they are later rescued. Finally, there is a scene where Shark Boy and Lava Girl appear to have perished in the course of saving each other. All of these scenes are likely to scare children under five. Some could scare five to eight-year-olds, and the electric plugs and the peril of the heroes could even be troubling for children up to 13. The main messages from this movie are about good overcoming evil, loyalty to friends, that if dreams don't come true, you need to dream a better dream, and that good teachers learn as much from their students as the students do from them. Values parents may wish to encourage include loyalty and friendship, forgiveness, moving forward in life and not looking back, and encouraging and persisting against the odds. This movie could give parents the opportunity to discuss with their children attitudes and behaviours such as disrespect towards teachers and teasing or bullying and the consequences of those. The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl is available on a popular streaming service and the CMA reviewers recommend it for children to... Aged eight and up, parental guidance for four to seven year olds. There is a more detailed review of this film and hundreds of others on the CMA website.
0: And when Bianca talks about the CMA website, that's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab, and then you can sort the list or search in a number of different ways. And all of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development. And that's one of the things that we think is really important and special about our reviews. They cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002. And also selected M-rated movies because some of those are promoted to children. And we've picked up some pre-2002 ones that are available on streaming services. We're trying to build up that little catalogue as we go. The website also has reviews of game-style apps and apps that may appeal to young children and we find that parents really get a lot out of those and find them helpful. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community which is facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children and the Media, all one word. More details later on how to keep in touch and give feedback.
1: Now it's time for Policy Corner. Liz and I are going to explore a recent attempt by one Australian member of Parliament to finally do something about food advertising. Liz, I see that one of our TEAL MPs has been taking steps to tighten up the regulation of food ads in Australia. But maybe for the benefit of our overseas listeners... We should explain what a teal MP is?
0: Well that's something very new here in Australia. They're a group of uh, members of parliament and and it's misleading to even call them a group because they're all independent but they are all part of a political phenomenon where These community-based independents have had really, really successful campaigns in certain electorates, and quite a number of them got elected at our last election in May 2022. So I think we've got about eight of them now, six or eight. As far as I know, they're all women. And they're all sort of more or less, shall we say, fiscally conservative. So they might be more on what we would think of as the blue side of politics, what we call the, the liberal, large L liberal, which might be confusing to people from other countries because they're, they really are conservatives. But they're also small L liberal type people. But they're also quite concerned about the environment. And so they're kind of a mixture of blue and green.
1: I and hadn't. That- known that no there
0: you go well that's why they
1: just plucked it off the palette no
0: no no they're they're teal in the sense that they're part blue part green they're more on the sort of center right but they're also very environmentally aware and concerned about um not just in the environment but a lot of the sort of social issues that the greens would be concerned about Mm. too
1: and teal sounds very much more eloquent than saying aqua
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, if we were walking around talking about aqua MPs, I don't think we'd get very far. They'd think that we were talking about shark boy and lava girl, probably. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, the teal MPs are quite a fascinating political phenomenon. And because they're independents, they are more likely to do what we're about to talk about, which is a private member's bill.
1: And the particular MP we're talking about is Sophie Scamps. What has she been up to?
0: Well, the first thing that I've learned is we don't say scamps. This is something I didn't know. Apparently, scamps is a French name, so we need to say scomps. Mm. Get used to that. Sophie scomps. Yes, Sophie scomps. So what's she been up to? She's actually a medical doctor by background, and she's taken a strong interest in a few issues, which is also very much the teal way that they will pick up particular issues that are of concern to their community. And one that's of concern to her community is... Food advertising regulation, and and obviously with her medical background, that's something she feels is appropriate for her to pick up. Now, this is an issue that's been on the agenda in Australian politics and, and in other similar countries to Australia for about 20 years. We've been noticing an increase in childhood obesity. There is evidence that food advertising contributes to that. It's not the only factor, obviously. It's a multifactorial problem, but there is evidence that food advertising contributes to childhood obesity. But there's been strong lobbying by three very powerful industries who have an interest in food advertising. That's the food industry itself, the broadcasting industry, and the advertising industry. So very strong lobbying by all those three. And basically, we haven't had any progress Mm. uh, in Australia in any change in regulation. In between times, a couple of different industries, that is the food industry and what calls itself the quick service restaurant industry. Um yeah, that's what QSRI. They have brought in these things that they call pledges. And they're completely self-regulatory, but they have said, okay, we won't advertise food in this way or that way at this time that time and so on. Now, I won't go into those, but anyway, we have had these self-regulatory pledges, but Sophie Scomps has introduced a private members bill, as I said, and that's something that I've been having a bit of a look at to see what she's up to there.
1: And so how Is that any different from any other kind of proposed law?
0: Well, a private member's bill is just what it sounds like, that it comes from one particular member of parliament. And this is quite unusual in Australia. Normally, legislation is introduced into the parliament by the party that's in government. At the moment, as you would know, it's the Labor Party. So they will decide, we want to have a law on X, we want it to say this, and then they get it drawn up and then they introduce it into parliament and then it's debated and probably passed because the government has a majority. Though we have a slight complication in a two-chamber system because... The government doesn't necessarily control the votes in the Senate and the legislation has to pass the Senate as well. So that's why there sometimes has to be a little bit of horse trading where the government needs to get the crossbench senators on side to get their legislation through. But that's basically the normal process. Here, with a private members bill, you get a particular individual who says, I think there should be a law on X. I think it should say this and then gets the law drawn up and introduces it, and then that person has to garner the support of enough other people in the parliament to get the legislation passed. Now, it's a very interesting environment here because there are so many teals, and if Sophie Scomps can get enough teals behind her and then maybe get other crossbenchers and maybe the opposition, then she might actually be able to get it through. So we're going to have to wait and see about that. It's slightly unusual for private members' bills to get through just because of the need to pull together enough support and enough votes. But who knows what's going to happen with this. Um, So, yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah. And what does this law actually entail?
0: Well, she's proposing a ban on what she's calling, what the law is calling unhealthy food marketing content between 6am and 9.30pm on TV. There's an exception for if it's accidental or incidental, if it just sort of turns up one way or another, if there's a reference to a particular kind of food or something in a show or in the news, or if there's a billboard behind a reporter on the news or something like that. So if it's accidental or incidental, then that's okay. But it also has to be that the broadcaster receives no benefit. So there's two stages to that exception. It has to be accidental or incidental and the broadcaster has to receive no benefit. The penalty for breaching this ban that's going to be in the law, that is in the proposed law, is a fine that can be up to 5% of turnover, which could be quite a lot. It could quite hurt. And there's also a rule in the law that there's no online unhealthy food marketing content. So it's just not allowed online at Mm. all.
1: Yep. That's well, very tricky to monitor and yeah, yeah. enforce. Yeah, sure. And how does the law identify the foods that are considered unhealthy?
0: Well, this is one of the things that's always been fascinating about these debates about food advertising. You know, just what do you do? And back in the '90s, I was involved in a campaign to ban all food advertising. And that really surprised me. I just came in on this campaign in my capacity as a law person but most of the people on the campaign were nutritionist and health type people and they were the ones who said we don't want to distinguish between healthy and unhealthy food let's just say ban all food advertising well that didn't happen as you know (laughs) we still have plenty of food advertising so anyway that was one of the things that I found most interesting looking at this how is she figuring out what is going to be considered unhealthy. And what she does is she relies on a guidance document that was drawn up in 2018, which is a very open textured kind of document. It doesn't talk about particular levels of fat or sugar or anything like that, which other schemes have done. And it was found when we have had some kind of scheme that has that nutritional composition way of looking at things to say, well, such a percent of fat, such a percent of sugar and so on, that that provided an incentive for the food companies to reformulate their products to say okay well we'll reduce the amount of fat or the amount of sugar in our product Mm. and then we can advertise it but this doesn't work because it's still that basic kind of product so for example some things that are on the list are savory and or flavored crisps Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter how you cook your crisps or what's in them if they're savory and they're crisp they're out and also muesli and snack bars and as you would imagine, there's a lot of different kinds of mm. things that, that you can put in or leave out from muesli and snack bars, but this guidance document just says muesli and snack bars are unhealthy. So there's still plenty of scope for argument and manipulation of the different concepts. So someone might develop something that looks like a muesli bar, but they say, oh, no, this isn't a muesli bar, this is something else. Yeah. So there are still ways around it, but, uh, yeah, that's how she's approaching it.
1: Mm. Will the proposed law do any good if it's passed?
0: Well, I really like the idea of a clear time cutoff. As you might recall, I've mentioned before, it's between six am and nine thirty pm on TV that you can't have food advertising. And I really like that idea because well, you know nine thirty is a reasonable time to expect that young kids at least will be in bed, so that's good. In the past, a lot of laws and regulations that have aimed to control advertising have used the concept of whether the advertising is directed at children. So they don't look at the time when it's shown, but they look at, is Mm. is this an ad that's directed at children? And that's just a terrible approach. It doesn't really support anything because children do notice things that aren't actually directed at them. So that was always a big loophole. So the idea of the time cutoff is good. And another thing is that, If the system relies on the public to complain about what they've seen, the public really needs very, very clear categories. And so, you know, you can look at your watch and say, it is isn't 9.30 yet, Mm. that ad shouldn't be on there. So it's much easier to know whether there's been a breach and whether it's worth complaining. So, yeah, I do really like that. Now, the online ban, it's really hard to say how much of what Australian kids actually see will be caught because... Mm -hmm. As you know, the internet is vast, it comes from all different places, it comes from places who really don't care what Sophie Scomps thinks, <laughs> You've just got to face that fact, but it's got to be better than nothing and it's worth trying and it could well have an educative effect and make people you know, less likely to accept seeing that kind of advertising. Mm. It could just change attitudes over time, so it's certainly worth trying.
1: And where is it up to now and do you think it's likely to pass?
0: Well, I did check with Dr. Scomps' office and I'm waiting to hear back. I probably could have spent a half a day sort of going down a rabbit hole in Parliament trying to find out where it was. Sorry, listeners, I didn't do that. I did just shoot an email to Dr. Scomps' office and I haven't heard back. As I mentioned before, I do think it's unlikely to pass because it really does need support from a major party and the major parties haven't shown much interest in this kind of regulation in the past. But look, you never know. Politics is changing all the time. We've just had the loss of the referendum here in Australia and I think the government is hurting a little bit from that. So they might well be looking at other things where they can sharpen up their image a bit and they might see this or might not, I don't know. But that's just an example of how things are always changing and you just never know. Um, it is interesting to see that Sophie Scomps's polling shows strong community support for this kind of regulation. And you know maybe the government could do with a win. And there's also, as I mentioned before, the question of horse trading, that they might need something from Sophie Scomps at some point and so they'll support her on this so that she'll support them on something else. I mean, it, we say horse trading and that makes it sound dirty, but it actually is how the system is designed and it can have some quite good outcomes when politicians sort of discuss and, and compromise with each other. So that's where we're at at the moment and um, we'll report back if, if we hear of any more developments.
1: Thanks, Liz. Well, that's about all we have time for today.
0: Yes, that's a wrap for episode 19. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch. If you're a subscriber on Substack, you can leave a comment there. Otherwise, you can contact us through Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Outside the Screen Pod, all one word. Or you can email us at
1: screenpod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction related on my website, cgiclinic.com, and even book an appointment to see me to assess your child.
0: Or if you really like us, you can help by subscribing to the show on your listening platform and or on Substack. It's worth doing both because on Substack, you get an email when a new episode drops or there is other news and you can also join our listener community. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. We'd also love it if you could spread the word about the podcast among your friends and
1: colleagues. Finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to make it easier for others to find us. And And this has has been been The Team team from from Outside outside the screen.
0: Screen. See you next week.